1: Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday as we gather to worship and hear the Word of God proclaimed. You can learn more about our church at groundedandgrowingradio.com. 1
2: Corinthians chapter 4 is going to be our text for today. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you did receive it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Already you have all you want. To the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. When we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. This is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. So at the beginning of the year, each year, I like to spend some time thinking about a theme for the year. It then often uh, forms the basis of a personal theme for the year. And oftentimes of the church theme for the year So you might recall last year We wove in a theme of gratitude throughout the year And as a part of that uh, The staff, whenever we would meet Almost every time we would meet We would just share one thing that we're thankful for To try to ensure that we were a a grateful staff That we were people growing in gratitude The year before then We focused on hospitality throughout the year And we talked about various ways that, That we were encouraged to be hospitable This year This year, as I've been thinking about my own year ahead and the church year, I want to encourage myself and I want to encourage us to pursue faithfulness. I want for this to be something of a theme for the year for us. I'd like you to to encourage you to adopt it as a theme for the year for yourself. And I am particularly thankful for the faithful example of our worship director, Claire Ratliff, because this was the theme of the worship ministry this past year, and it was her theme, faithfulness. I thought that was so beautiful that I decided to pick it up myself and to call our church to it. Now, faithfulness is a little bit of a difficult word, isn't it? Because it needs some definition. Sometimes we can think that faithfulness is doing the things that we think are right or good, doing the things that think we find appeal to us. But what is faithfulness? What is a real, true, biblical faithfulness? Well, for that, this is one of those beautiful passages to dig into to find out that very thing. And we find here that faithfulness, as the scriptures define it, is not adhering to like a certain set of pre-prescribed traditions, but it is believing God's word and submitting oneself to it. I just gave away sort of the message of the whole thing. So if, uh, you know, you kind of know how it all ends now. But let's take a look at this, because as as the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing to the church in Corinth, he talks about the ministry of some of their leaders, and there are basically three parts to this section of Scripture. And so it says that, you know, like, a faithful Christian has regard for faithful leaders. A faithful Christian is a humble follower And a faithful Christian is a right imitator. So these are going to be the three points that we talk about. The faithful leaders, humble followers, and right imitators. And as Christians this year, I want to call all of us to be people that have regard for faithful leaders. That ourselves are humble followers of God's word and are right imitators of Christ Jesus. So let's give our attention to the text Let's start with faithful leaders 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 5 Is specifically coming from Paul To the Corinthian church Regarding the type of leaders That they should have high regard for That's the way that the passage begins In chapter 4 verse 1 This is how one should regard us As servants of Christ And stewards of the mystery of God Moreover it is required of stewards That they be found faithful Paul is saying, if you want to have regard for others, particularly those who are servants of God, who are leaders within the church, within your midst, who are apostles, you should have high regard for the ones who are faithful. That's what we're. That's what the Corinthian church was being told by Paul. That's what we're being told by uh, by the scriptures this morning. The Corinthians were people that wanted to be judged wise in the society's eyes. They wanted to judge their leaders by the same standard, by the standards of the society, the same worldly standard that they were applying to themselves. Paul's responding here that he doesn't care so much about the way that they judge them if they're using human standards, that it's God's standard that needs to be the standard for the church. And so the members of the Corinthian church, and by extension us, should expect their leaders to be servants. Servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. That's what verse 1 says. Those who labor in the Lord, those leaders in the church, have no authority in and of themselves. They are stewards. They are those that direct another's authority. It is Christ Jesus who is the sole authority in the church. And therefore, faithful leaders in the church will acknowledge that they have no power, no wisdom, no authority in and of themselves, but that they are stewards of the great and glorious authority of Christ Jesus. A faithful leader, a faithful leader, a faithful teacher in the church recognizes not their own power or might or wisdom or strength or teaching or instruction, but recognizes that Christ and Christ alone is the head of the church, and that they must submit themselves to Christ Jesus. Leaders in the church are servants. They are subordinates. They are assistants for the cause of Christ Jesus. They're stewards of the mystery, the mystery of the faith. So what this means is that, that when, when Christ equips and empowers leaders to be in the church, he gives them the message that they're supposed to say. He gives them the authority or the power with which they're supposed to minister. And he gives them the mystery that they're supposed to open up to the church that they serve. And what is that mystery? Well, it's an open secret. The mystery entrusted to leaders that needs to be opened up and given to the church is an open secret. In fact, it's described by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in another part of the scriptures. In First Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about this very thing. He's writing to Timothy and he says in First Timothy 3 verse 14 and following, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, that you might know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. And then he says this, great indeed is the mystery that we confess. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. And then he explains what this mystery is. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. And so when Paul describes what the mystery is that's been entrusted to the leaders, it's the mystery of the gospel. It's the story of Christ Jesus. It's that Christ Jesus came, that he was the one that had been prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. He was the one that came in fulfillment of prophecy. He lived, he died, he rose again. People witnessed it. He ascended into glory. This is the mystery of the faith. And this is the message that has been entrusted to leaders. And so faithful leaders in the church are those that give themselves to that message, that love that message, that love the mystery that's been revealed in Christ Jesus, and love to proclaim it and talk about it and teach it. All of us who are in the faith should look to faithful leaders who love Christ Jesus and love his word and love to tell about him.
1: Today's message on Grounded and Growing in Christ will continue in just a moment. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, to listen to other messages from our audio ministry, or to make a financial gift of any amount, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. That's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This audio ministry is made possible by gifts from listeners like yourself, and we greatly appreciate all those of you who continue to make it possible to share this work with listeners across Chicagoland. Now let's return to today's message.
2: What Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5, is that those in a position of trust must be trustworthy. Those who have been entrusted with the mysteries of the faith must be faithful. To simplify it to the most uh, significant degree, the presentation of the message and the messenger's own demeanor must match the message of the crucified Messiah. The faithful servant of God can be trusted to present the gospel appropriately, not with, uh, not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. The faithful servant will demonstrate the message not as a shining success, but as the scum of the earth, as Paul says later, a status like that of the crucified Christ. This is the type of ministry that characterized Paul. He had a clear conscience, he confesses in these first five verses, not because he was saying that he had never sinned. He calls himself the chief of sinners, but his ministry had been characterized by a love for Jesus, by living like Jesus, and by preaching Jesus, not preaching himself. And so one of the ways that we can be faithful as a congregation, as Christians, is for us to have high regard for faithful leaders for faithful teachers, for faithful preachers, for all of those who love Jesus and preach Jesus and follow Jesus and live like Jesus. And then in verse 6, the text shifts. Paul's been describing what faithful leaders look like. He's been calling all of us to hold such leaders in high regard. And then Paul starts to bring it home in verses uh, 6 and 7. Let me read those two verses. Verses six and seven says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor against one another. For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Paul's shifting here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from speaking figuratively and indirectly about the church and its leaders to speaking literally and directly to the situation in Corinth. And as we see that shift, we can realize these words spoken to Corinth many thousands of years ago, a couple thousands of years ago, these apply directly to us as well. Paul here is moving from from polite metaphors to blunt commands. He even uses some strong language and some sarcasm as, uh, as things move on in the text, he gets straight to the point here. What he's been saying about leadership in Corinthians, First Corinthians one through three, chapters one through three, what he's been saying about leadership in chapter four verses one through five, he now says, "I've been saying all of this, applying it to myself for your benefit." And there's been a specific purpose that I've been aiming for or hoping for. I've been saying all of this for you so that you won't go beyond what is written. What does that mean? What does that phrase mean? So that you might not go beyond what is written. Well, in the writing of Paul, what is written always refers to the scriptures. And when Jesus says, it is written, he was always quoting scripture. And when this phrase That which is written or to write has appeared in first corinthians up to this point It's appeared four times. It's always introduced old testament scripture In fact five of the six quotations of the old testament that have happened up to this point in the book of first corinthians Were introduced with this phrase to write talking about that which is written all of this indicates to us That this instruction is to say don't go beyond what the scriptures say Don't go beyond the bible Don't go beyond what is contained in God's holy, inerrant, inspired word. Don't go beyond it. So this phrase means that that the instruction about leaders should make the Corinthian church determined to believe the scriptures themselves. To submit themselves to the scriptures. To trust the scriptures and not their own wisdom or power or wealth or riches or authority. To apply this today. Today. We should see the way that Paul describes a faithful servant, a faithful apostle, a faithful preacher, or a faithful teacher. They are those that don't teach or preach themselves, but preach Christ. They are those who don't operate in their own authority, but under the authority of God. They are servants. They are stewards, and they love and trust and exalt and submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. And seeing that in faithful leaders, a Christian should do the same thing. You, Must do the same thing. Submit yourself to the scriptures and refuse to go beyond it. And it is a certain way to guard against pride. To guard against pride. And that's what the Bible wants for us to guard against pride. Let me read 1 Corinthians 4, 6, and 7 again. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor against one another. So, do you see what the logic of that verse is? Paul's saying, I've been talking about all these leaders, I've applied it to myself so that you could learn not to go what's be, beyond what's written in scriptures. So that you might not be puffed up. You should listen to the words of 1 Corinthians so that you learn and I learn not to go beyond what the Bible says so that we may be humble, so that we might not become puffed up, so that we might not be prideful. Here's a difficult truth for us today. Because of the fact that we are born in sin. And because we have all had our souls formed by a culture that tells us to pursue our own happiness first, and because our distant parents were Adam and Eve, all of us have a tendency toward pride. It was St. Augustine who said that the first sin that Adam and Eve committed was the sin of pride. They ate of the tree that the Lord God had told them not to eat of, and what was the way that they had been tempted? The serpent came into the garden and said, if you do this, you're going to be like God. You're going to be just like God. The first temptation was a temptation to exalt self to the place of God. And so much of what you experience in this world in which we live will tell you To exalt yourself to the place of God. Make sure your own needs are met, is the insidious message that we will continually receive. Make sure that you put your own desires in front of others. You can be like God. This is our temptation to say, I want to be like God. I want to be my own authority. I want to make my own way. And for all of those of us that want to crucify that desire, submit to the scriptures. This is hard to do. It is hard for us to do to say, I am not going to be my own final authority. I'm going to allow Christ and his word to rule me. I'm going to give Christ Jesus veto power in my own life. If there's something that I encounter in this world that I might want, if there's a desire in me that I want to fulfill but it goes against God's word, it is God's word that will have the final word, not my own. Not my own words, not my own desires. It's a difficult thing to say, I won't give myself to human trends or human authorities. I'll be a man or a woman who follows the Lord. But this is what we must do if we want to be faithful humble followers. We have to say, it's the Lord God that's the authority of my life. It's the word of God that's the authority of my own life. It's not my own desires. It's not my own thoughts. It's not my own wisdom. And if we specifically are dealing with an overinflated view of self, then we're given in the text here three different questions that each can puncture that, that bubble of, of self-pride. Paul asks, who, what, and why? That's verse 7. For who sees anything different in you? That's the first question. And if you find yourself dealing with pride, I think that verse 7 offers a really practical way to address that. Ask yourself these three questions. First of all, who sees anything differently in you? Or stated negatively, who do you think you are anyway? I know growing up in a home uh, where my parents disciplined, that that was often one of the ways that that things would start, like, who do you think you are? And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong, I did something wrong here. And what the scriptures are telling us is that we have to turn that in on self, right? When we find ourselves tempted to pride, the first question to ask is, who do you think you are anyway? Do you realize that you're not the final authority, but that God and his word are in your life? Who do you think you are? The second question, after asking who, the second question is what. What do you have that you did not receive? And this is, again, a rhetorical question that the answer should be obvious. Everything that you have and that I have, every good gift has come from God, who is the giver of all good gifts. Everything that you have has come by way of God. Who do you think you are? What do you have that you've not received? Nothing. And then here's the third question. The third question is, uh, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not? Who? What? Why? If you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not? This is a way to puncture our pride. This is the way that John Calvin puts it. No room is left for taking pride in ourselves when it is by God's grace that we are who we are. What do you have that you've not received? If you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not? Unfortunately, the Corinthians at this time were boasting in the wrong things. They were rich, they were rulers, they were wise. They were taking pride in their lofty cultural position rather than in being like Jesus. And Paul says, you know, the apostles are not like that. Do you see that in verses 8 through 13? Let's take a look at those verses again, verses 8 through 13. Already you have all you want, already you've become rich. Without us you have become kings, and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To this present hour, we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed, buffeted, and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure, when slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. In this passage, Paul's saying, Take a look at the way the apostles are. Take a look at the way those are who are clearly and distinctly owning that they are servants and submitting themselves to the will of God. We're foolish, we're weak. We're starving. We're regarded as the scum of the earth. Take a look at the way that you are. You're in lofty positions. You're wealthy. You're rich. You're wise. You're highly regarded. And he says, be afraid if that's the case. Don't expect that true servants of God will always be the ones who are successful or are wealthy or have everything going right for them or are held in high regard by the fallen world. No, 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 no. In fact, it's often the exact opposite thing. And then Paul brings it home by calling the Corinthian church, and then by extension calling us to be imitators. He says in verse 14 and following, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church.
1: My prayer is that the Lord speaks to you through his word, that we cultivate grateful hearts to him and flourish in a world searching for the hope. That we find only in Jesus. To hear more about gratitude. To learn about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church. Or to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160 through this audio ministry. Visit us today at GroundedAndGrowingRadio.com